Purpose? Uh, purpose, that's, that's different than just um, going along. It's different than just uh, function. We do so many things. Uh, we fill our time in many ways. And often we have a, a moment of, of retrospect, like, like maybe what we're having right now in the, the summer vacation kind of time. Um, when you're able to look back and you're able to consider things, like how, what, what, does what I do matter? Is, is what I'm investing myself in actually going to make a difference? Are my contributions valuable? Um, if I have limited time and I have limited resources, then I want what I spend my limited time and my limited resources on to have deep value. I don't want those things to just be um, my time just thrown away, my, my money just thrown away. I want those things to have impact and significance. And so I want to make sure that I'm focused in the right way to do that. I want to make sure that what I choose to invest in is a wise investment. Where, where can I pour myself out for maximum impact? And is it always a matter of, of just doing more? Is that the way that we get ahead? Is that the way that we accomplish all that we want to do? We know this stuff in our heads, but we don't always know how to say it out loud. And so I wanted to, uh, to ask you today to try and say it like this. Say it, kaleo. Kaleo is a Greek word, and it's a Greek word that um, we, we find in the New Testament in a number of places. I got kaleo up there anyways. Um, it's the, the word that means to call, to, to, to bid, um, to, or, or, or to call forth, to bring out. So it's not just um, a passive on the side kind of thing. Um, calling takes your efforts and your actions and it, and it transforms them with a divine multiplying effect. It's not just doing what I want to do. It's somehow more than that. It speaks of partnership with God. Um, a calling or your calling from God promises to enable you and to empower you so that you can meet that calling. And God doesn't leave you out hanging on the, on the edge all on your own. It's not, it's not like the Blues Brothers that were on a mission from God, right? You remember that? And they took their mission from God to be justification to do whatever they wanted, wherever they wanted to do it. And sadly, this idea of doing this for God has existed throughout history. That people have been behaving uh, tremendously unlike Jesus and then saying that they did that to honor and glorify God. And you may have heard us say that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, we are mission-focused, and that our mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. We, we might also say, as the, the, the passage we're going to look at says, to this you were called. So for a couple of weeks at Into One, we're going to look at specific callings of those who follow Jesus. So in, in 1 Peter it says, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You are called to care. That's the first one, called to care. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have been called to care. Each of us is to reflect the care and the compassion of God. We are called to care for those people who are in need 
all around us and the ones who are not so near to us. You are not called to save. You are not called to convert anyone. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But remember, we work together. We work together in partnership. And you are called to be loving and caring and generous and obedient and courageous and honest, faithful witnesses. We, we're called simply to tell the truth. We don't talk about Jesus so that we can get our Club J points, right, scored up. We do it because we're being obedient and we have been called to give out genuine care and compassion that we might set the prisoner free, that we might bring hope to the hopeless, that we might bring joy to the brokenhearted. It's not about trying to win. We don't win. God wins. We work in partnership. And so the Apostle Paul describes kind of what this looks like with one of his favorite teammates, one of the guys that he worked hard with, is Timothy. And he says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Is this the reflection of where you are today? Caring only for your own welfare. That's the primary thing that concerns you. We're more concerned about my needs, my wants, my desires than the directions of Jesus. This is, this is comment for, for pastors and, and for lay people. The bad news is that if it, it still remains an issue to this day. It's not just in Paul's day back in the city of Philippi, but it's in our day in Stouffville or in Toronto, in, in Ontario, in Canada and throughout the world. The problem kind of looks like this. To say that you care but not act is to not care at all. To say that we're true believers of Jesus, the disciples of his who have been transformed by the renewing of our minds, transformed by his loving, graceful actions on our behalf, and then do nothing to act is to not really care at all. Caring is not just a feeling. It's not just how I sense that I am right now. It's an action. So has there ever been a time in your life where you knew, you sensed you were called to act, to help? And you didn't? To, to, to my shame, I had just have numerous stories that fit into that. But true compassion demands action. Compassion is a Greek word, and it's, it's absolutely outrageous, okay? The word is splank nid zomahi. To have the bowels yearn. That's what it means. The yearn from deep within. And, and now that I tell you that, you're going to use that all the time, right? I just want to talk about how I can use my bowels yearning to do something. To feel deep sympathy. To be moved to action. It's translated as compassion. But it means so much more than compassion. It's the inward aching for someone who is in need. That, that aching that, that moves us, it, it drives us, it compels us, it, it shakes us into action. I cannot just walk by and say, no big deal. Did you know that whenever that word is used, when it speaks around Jesus, that his feeling was immediately followed by an action? Jesus experienced compassion, and then it is immediately followed by an act of goodness. So we'll just jump into a couple of places. You've got them there. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. That's what Jesus is like. And Jesus is a direct representation of what God is like. He says, if you ever want to see what God, the invisible spirit, looks like, it looks like me. Here's what Jesus is like. He is the truth. The farther I allow myself to drift from Jesus, the farther I drift from caring about the things he cares about, well, the less I care about him. And the more I care about myself, the less I care for others. But the good news is that the opposite is also true. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I care about the things that he cares for, and the more I focus in that way, the closer I get to him. It's also relational. It's about our connection with Jesus. But that's a constantly moving point. So I want to share this message with you, born out of my uncaring spirit. And to do that, we're going to look at the well-known story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, so here's the setup. You know this. You, uh, most of you, this is so familiar to you. There's an expert in the law, and he was debating with Jesus, which is a bad idea. So he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you, you tell me. What does the law say? And he, and he, and he said, well, okay, uh, right, uh, should be good. I'm a lawyer. I should be able to answer this. And so he's... Uh, Law guy, he says back to Jesus, well, the law says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And with all your mind, right? With all your soul and with all your strength. That sounds pretty good. That's a good answer. And so Jesus says, you're right. Go and do that. Don't, Don't think about it. Don't consider it. Don't just know it. Live it. Be it. Bring it to life. And so the guy has a follow-up question. He goes, okay, okay, I, I, I will. Yeah, what you said, I, I'm going to go and do that, right? But, but I've just got to ask you this other thing first. I have a follow-up question. I'm supposed to love my neighbor, right? Um, I need to know which neighbor it is that you're talking about. Which, which one did you mean? Did you, did you mean my next-door neighbor? You mean the one right here? Or, or are you talking about my neighbor down at the factory, the one that I work with? Or is it that guy in synagogue that I go with? Or is that lady that I see in Starbucks? Just, just who are you talking about? Who do I have to care for? And, but, he, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus says, let me, let me tell you the story of a man named Jed. All right. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. This was one long, winding road, dangerous, 17-mile strip of road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And over the course of the trip, it drops in elevation by about 3,000 feet. Lots of winding paths, lots of rocks there. And we all know, and they all knew, that it's just the place you go if you're a band of robbers, you hide in the rocks on windy roads, right? And so they jump out and beat the tar out of anyone who made the mistake of coming across them. So these four or five guys that have been watching way too much UFC jump out on this man on his trip, and they beat him badly. And they take his clothes, and they they take his shoes, and they take his watch, and they take his bags, and they take his phone. They they, they leave him 
with nothing. They take everything, and he's lying there, semi-conscious now, bleeding, disoriented, and and basically unable to move. He has no on-star emergency response. He's got no thug insurance. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then a priest happens to come along down the road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. Because he's a busy guy, right? Places to go, God's will to do. I've heard of this kind of thing. I know what's going on here, right? This is probably a trap. They set people up like this, right? I'm sure he's just faking it. Actually, you know what? He's a criminal. I bet he's a criminal himself or a, a gambler. That's why he's in this place, because he's a gambler, right? He, he's probably an addict. This, in fact, is probably a good thing for him. This is justice. It's probably better because he's getting what he deserves. I don't need to get involved. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him pass by on the other side, you know this. You will always have an excuse to justify not getting involved. When you see someone in need or hear about it, just get ready for the conversation in your head. It's coming. There's there's a list of good reasons and not so good reasons. They come quickly to your mind and they just file in. They will all give you a reason to justify not getting involved. And here they come. I'm running late. I don't even know these people. (laughs) You know what? You read about this situation, this kind of thing all the time. People like that and I can help get cleaned up. I'll clean up and then I can help them, right? I want to help. I really do. But what if, what if I come across a really super needy friend of mine just in a, in a, in a day or so? What if I do help this, this lady and I get Mrs. Needy Velcro following me around like the little green men in Toy Story? You saved my life. We are eternally grateful. What do I do with that? The conversation goes on in your head, and it'll keep going on in your head. It'll just keep playing and playing and playing as long as you keep listening and as long as you keep debating. It just makes no sense to say, I was so moved by what I saw, by what I heard, that I almost did something. So what what do we know about compassion? Here's a few things that we pull out of this story first. Compassion inconveniences and interrupts. You are not going to wake up next Thursday, check your calendar, say, yep, just like I thought. I got a 45-minute block here that's perfect for compassion. Really hope something turns up. God will interrupt our schedule with his schedule, and we have the opportunity to feel inconvenienced. We must learn to see interruption as opportunity. I wasn't planning this, but I wonder if God was. This might very well be a pivotal circumstance from our faith catalyst, right? We can't give you faith. I can't package it for you. You must grow in it. Faith grows. You can't make it. I can't give it to you. But you can be in a place where it happens. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came when he saw where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went down and he bandaged his wounds and pouring oil and wine on them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. Pity. That word pity? Yeah. Do you know what that word word? Do you know what that word was? 
You guessed it, right? It's that word for compassion again. The one that I said, don't even try to say it. No wonder they don't use this language anymore. This Greek is a dead language, and you can see why with words like that. Same word, that same compelling compassion that motivates, that comes from inside. But it's extra significant because the man beaten up was a Jew, and the guy doing the good is a Samaritan, a half-breed a half-Jew and a half-Gentile. Jews treated them as worse or lower than dogs. A Jew would walk around an entire city to avoid making contact with a Samaritan. But he's not seen as an enemy. He's seen as another human being. He has compassion on him. And verse 34 says, he, he went to him. He, he did what he could. He says, I'm no doctor but I can help you and I can bring you to someone who can help more. He puts the man on his donkey and he walks himself to wherever that nearest hotel was that he went to. Compassion just interrupted and inconvenienced the Samaritan. That kind of thing happens all the time. Cheryl and I have, uh, over our, our history, we, we love to have people over at our place. We, we do this hospitality, kind of get to know you kind of thing, and, and we love it. And our, and our kids love it, and it's great. We, we've enjoyed it so many times. And there was this one night we had a guy over, and we hadn't seen this guy in, oh, I don't know how long. We kind of fell out of contact. He moved, we moved, situation, whatever, right? So we hadn't been in contact. He's going to come over. And so uh, he's kind of excited to hang out with us, and why not? We're awesome people. So we spent some time just joking around, right? Just kind of making comfortable, getting to know each other again, and catching up. And he got there kind of late. And so uh, time is ticking away. And uh, both Cheryl and I, we're kind, of, we're kind of getting drowsy, probably more me than Cheryl, but we're still talking, we're still going on, right? And it starts to feel like something more is coming. There's something more that needs to be said, and you can, you can sense that transition between discomfort, comfort levels, and the comfort level is rising. And then the sharing starts, right? The hurt, the confusion, it comes dribbling out, and then it comes pouring out. My eyes are burning, and I'm desperately trying to stop yawning, to keep them under control. And finally the night ends and I agree that I'm going to drive them home. And then we get into the car and we start talking again. And in the car we're driving and, and, we're, and, we're, and we're talking and then we're sitting in the driveway and we're talking. And, and then I go, okay, let me, let me pray for you. And uh, finally I drive home. And later I get back to Cheryl and we kind of look at each other somewhat bleary-eyed. And we both agree that we were just part of something very important. We were part of a significant moment. We were part of something that you can't put a value on. We were thanked so many times that we didn't really know what to do. It was inconvenient. It might have even been intrusive and yet profound. It was a blessing to us and a blessing to that young man. And you watch, God will bring opportunities into your life to display and to live out compassion. But be prepared for them to be inconvenient and to interrupt. Because compassion costs. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. And when I return, I will pay you for any extra expenses that you may have. So how much is two silver coins? It's like 50 cents, right? No. Based on the average wages at that time, two silver coins would have indicated two days' pay. 
So the Samaritan just spent the night with what society had taught him, trained him to see as his enemy. And he dug into his pocket or his pouch, and he mentally agreed, I'm going to work for two days without being paid. And then further, he agrees to pay the bill for any additional expenses upon his return. He doesn't pass off the responsibility to someone else. He commits to being involved. Even if this costs me, even if this inconveniences me, I will be an and then some kind of person. That'll be my mentality. And then some. Imagine the change to our worlds if we were treated this way. Imagine the change to our world if we treat, treated others one-third of this way. Because compassion changes lives. If you follow in Jesus' wake throughout the Gospels, you watch what happens. These things, they come up. They're, they're so often what we would describe as small, unimportant things, but they change lives. And so Jesus says to the man, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The answer was unavoidable, right? Jesus, his technique is fantastic. The teacher of the law had no option but to see this clearly. His trick question to stump or to get Jesus into trouble comes back at him. Jesus makes it so obvious. Who would you see as the hero in this story? Go be like him. Go help those who are in need. So where are you going? Wherever it is, as you go, you can go with compassion. Let compassion grow within you. You get better with practice. And the kicker is that it will open your heart and break your heart when you receive and when you give. When you get to hear the stories of what is going on and what you have been a part of, it will change your life. It will set you free. And it will give you a gift that no amount of money can buy. Compassion changes lives. And even if it's just my life that is changed, that still counts as a changed life. We are called by God to care. We do it to be obedient. But in doing it, we become more deeply connected to God and His heart. Set free. Another level of my bondage broken. And we can set, be set free. And I got to ask, what kind of a church do you want to be part of? We better see our calling to care as coming from God. And not just nice feelings that, that we have that are efficient and convenient and cost effective. It's a calling. And I would love for people to come and be amongst us and around us and say, you know what, I don't believe what you believe. I don't agree with you on some things. But oh my gosh, you care. I love the atmosphere in this place. You know what? I can tolerate your God talk because I sense the presence of God amongst you. I don't sense that in any other place. I need that sense for me too. So go mad. Go make a difference.
Kind Father, move our hearts. Give us eyes to see and a willing spirit to move. Interrupt us this week. Maybe, maybe this is a struggle for you. Maybe you feel distant from God because you have been caring about what you want or what you need and uh, disregarding what God has been calling you to. God, as I have done that selfish thing, I have seen a distance grow between me and you. I don't want it anymore. I am not living out my calling. I am not caring. And as I practice that, I am drifting from you, God. I want to change that. I want you to help me change that. I want, I want to act differently this week. I want to fulfill my calling. God, forgive me for my selfishness and restore me in your sight. I choose to live for you again completely. Amen. And now, as you go, may you sense and know Christ in front of you and behind you. Christ to your left and to your right. Christ above and below. Christ in your past, in your present, and in your future. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Hey, it was great having you here this morning. Thanks for celebrating with us. Thanks for getting all messy with us and our kids and our family situation here. The living room got a little crowded today, but it was fun. I liked it, and I hope you did too. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And we, we, we say it, but we say it because it's true. And, and, and I want you to feel that inside. I want you to know that, to believe that you make a difference. You're important. And we're glad that you're part of it. As you go today, I want to remind you that you're being sent. And as I send you, I want to remind you that we are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. And the mission that we're on is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Go take the church with you as you go. Take some compassion this week. Care. Be ready to be interrupted. Be ready to say when the interruption comes, Maybe I was expecting this, and it is inconvenient, but in that moment, something can transform that I never saw possible before. Live into that. Hope to see you again next week. Goodbye.